to Judges chapter 2. This is what I'm going to preach about. The Lord, um, the Lord laid something on my heart here while I was over in Israel that I uh, really am sure I'm supposed to give. And the word in a nutshell is the word revive. Revive. Vive is the Latin for, for to live. Revive means to rekindle life, to get life, to get passion, to get heat back again. And what I know that God wants to do in my life and in Woodland Hills and in St. Paul and in the Twin Cities is to revive His church, to send revival to His people. Judges chapter 2. I'll read two verses here. The first is found in verse 7. The people worshipped the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. They saw the great work that the Lord did, and they worshipped the Lord uh, because they knew who He was. But you look down in verse 10, chapter 2 of Judges. It says, Moreover, that whole generation was gathered to their ancestors, and another generation grew up after them who did not know the Lord or the, or the work that He had done for Israel. I'm sure they knew the stories about what the Lord had done. They knew the stories of the manna falling from heaven. They knew the stories of him parting the Red Sea. I'm sure they knew the story of the, the fire and the cloud that led the children of Israel. But they didn't know, not in any experiential way, they didn't know the Lord because they had not with their own eyes seen what the Lord had done. A generation grew up for whom this was all simply a story and simply a theory. And the principle there, and we'll talk about it here shortly, is that spiritual experience and spiritual knowledge, spiritual vibrancy, is an untransferable quality. you got to get it for yourself. You can't transfer it to the next generation. Habakkuk, chapter 3, says this, starting with verse 2. Here's Habakkuk's prayer. O Lord, I have heard of your renown. I've heard of it. And I stand in awe, O Lord, of your work. So he's saying, Lord, I, I, I've heard about the great things you did. I know about the plagues on Egypt. I've heard so many great things of how you blessed Israel, the mighty deeds that you did. I've heard all that. You're a God of renown. Your reputation precedes you. It is wonderful. But then he prays this prayer. In our own time, Lord, revive it. In our time, Lord, revive it. Habakkuk's praying, God, I don't want to go on a story, on a theory, on what once was. Lord, in this day, in this age, will you revive it? Will you bring it to life again? Will you do it again? We need to, in this generation, see you for who you really are. Instead of just going on, resting on the laurels of the past, Lord, we need you right here and right now to be the God that you were back then. Another passage, I'm not going to read it, but it's an important one, it comes out of Acts chapter 2, which says this, after about four centuries of desolate spirituality, Israel was in desperate need of revival, and the Lord sent one, and it looked like this. On the day of Pentecost, there's 120 people in the upper room praying and doing intercession, and the Bible says that God poured out His Spirit, and like a rushing mighty wind, there was a sound from heaven in this upper room, and, and, and a miracle of cloven tongues of fire appeared on their head, and they began to speak in tongues and prophesy, and all the people that were around them heard them praising God in their own language, and some of them thought that they were drunk, and they accused him of being drunk because they were acting so joyful and acting so besides themselves. But Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost and in verse 16 of chapter 2 of the book of Acts, he said, these people are not drunk, as you, some of you think. 
because it's only 9 o'clock in the morning. Everyone knows no one gets drunk at 9 o'clock in the morning. Rather, what they're, well, in a sense, they are drunk, but they're drunk with the Spirit of God. Because this is that which was prophesied back in the book of Joel, that in the last days there would be a mighty revival. And God would pour out His Spirit upon all flesh. And the old men would see visions, the young men would dream dreams. Upon your young daughters, God would pour out the gift of prophesying. This is what God was speaking about, and a revival set in. And New Testament Christianity was birthed in the context of a revival. I want to talk this morning, in fact, this morning and next week and maybe the week after that, I want to talk about what this is. What is a revival? What can the people of God do to, put them, to position themselves to receive from the Lord a revival and begin to look at what God is doing here in the Twin Cities to bring this revival to pass? But first, let's pray. Father, Father, uh, our prayer here this morning is just that your word would go forth with power and anointing and would accomplish all that you desire. God, I know that, it, that your heart's desire is to create in me a flame, a fire that would burn, that would consume everything else about me and to burn in every heart here this morning of every person uh, here this morning, and in the, in the overflow room, and the people who are here this on tape. God, your, your desire is to have their hearts on fire, and to have them revived, and stirred up, and endowed with anointing and power, and to be doing your work in a passionate way. But Lord, I'm very aware, very aware that my words, nothing I could say, could ever produce that. In fact, we can't even choose it for ourselves. We can't just will it, Lord. We desperately need your spirit to be here this morning. God, if, 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 if you don't work by the, by the power of your spirit, I'm a fool up here doing a, a meaningless activity. But God, our confidence is found in you who always keep your promises. And your, your promise is that when the word goes forth, you will accomplish all that you intend. So we surrender this message over to you. We surrender the responsibility to make anything happen over to you. And we rest in your sufficiency, Lord. Bring revival. Shower us with your power and your love and your spirit and your peace and your anointing, Lord. Make it happen, God. In your name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. 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 Revival. When you think about revival, maybe when you hear the word revival, I don't know what it does for you, but for a lot of people it's kind of a scary thing. When you think about revival, you think, maybe some of you think that it means... Uh, because you've seen this, you've heard this on TV or whatever. A bunch of people, some preacher up there telling some kind of lame jokes and everyone laughing crazy. You know, <laughs> you're just going nuts laughing. It's like way overkill. And that's called revival. And they call it laughing in the spirit. But it's kind of manipulated, it's kind of cajoled, it's kind of silly. And you think, ah, if that's revival, I don't want it. Or maybe for some of you, revival is, is about some guy up there sort of doing something or other, getting people to fall over, and, and it's sort of a manipulative sort of environment, and, and you think, well, if that's revival, it's kind of silly falling over, laughing stuff, then I don't want it. Or swinging from chandeliers, or running the aisles, or jumping up and down, standing on your head, doing cartwheels, singing the Blues Brothers, I don't know, but it's, if that's what revival means to you, you probably think, I don't want it. But that is not what revival is. Now, I will say this, almost always when you have God moving, you're going to have some stuff like this. I don't think you can have the genuine without having some peripheral, disingenuous, weird stuff. But that's not what revival is. Revival is simply this. Charles Finney defined it best when he, he basically said this. It is the outpouring of God's Spirit which brings a renewed commitment of obedience on the people of God to the Lord. It's an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. 
where God just shows up in his reality and in his power and does a rekindling work in the lives of his people. Sometimes it's very emotional, but it doesn't have to be. Sometimes it's full of a lot of manifestations, a lot of displays, but it doesn't have to be. What it has to be is real. The power of God really coming down, really touching lives, really rekindling things in people's hearts. I was saved in the context of a revival. My wife was saved in the context of a revival. My sister was saved in the context of a revival. I've spoken a lot about this church that we were first saved in. It's kind of a radical Pentecostal church. And there's a lot of things about it that I, I, I don't agree with. I think it was unhealthy in a lot of ways. It was legalistic in a lot of ways. And it had some, I think, bad teachings in a lot of ways. But I've got to grant them this. These people, on the whole, knew what it was like to be surrendered to the Lord. If the Lord can take somebody who's got a heart to be surrendered, he'll put up with a lot of other stuff because finding a person whose heart is surrendered is a rare thing this day in America. And these people knew how to be surrendered to the Lord. They knew how to, how to lose themselves in the presence of God. I remember evenings, usually a Sunday night service, and I, we've got to think about a context in which this can happen here. Our prayer meetings on Sunday nights are, 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 are some of these, these kind of contexts where you can just wait on God and let God move and do whatever He wants. And there were times, and those of us, a number of us, a dozen or so of us here this morning, were in this particular revival. Um, God was moving in this, in this one church. You can have a revival at a church level. You can have a revival at an individual level or at a local level or at a national level or at a global level. This was a church revival. And the presence of God would be so thick just tangible. You could taste it. You could sometimes, I'm telling you, physically see the presence of God. It was like this purple smoke in the room. I, I know you think I'm weird, but it was true. It was like the, the Spirit of God packed the place, and it was so real, so tangible. It was, an, it was an aroma. How do you describe it? Sometimes the presence of God would be so thick you couldn't stand up. It was just like, your, it was like air pressure pinning you to the pew, uh, and you couldn't stand up. Sometimes, and this can be happened genuinely, it would knock you to the ground. Now, you don't take that on the market and try to sell it and make a gimmick out of it. That's when it turns weird. But it can happen where the presence of God is so powerful that it sends people to the ground. Sometimes the presence of God would be so thick you couldn't sit down. It would be the, op the opposite of that. In fact, you couldn't even stand still. In fact, it, it was like electricity, like they were being ele electrocuted. The presence of God was there. And no one was thinking about a gimmick or a show or look at me or anything like that. It's just the way when the presence of God is there in a real way, the power, the love, and the peace, things happen. Things happen. Lives were changed. Now, you did have showboating, and you had excess, and you had some disorder, and you had to kind of sometimes say, wait a second now, let's not, you know, get fleshy about this sort of stuff. You're going to have that. But I'm telling you, it was worth it for the genuine. The power of God was there. And it produced lasting results. It was the power of God, the reality of God in these meetings. I was a high school kid, newly off of drugs. I would go to church, and I wouldn't get home until 2 in the morning. Because, and, I, and the only reason I went home at 2 in the morning was because I knew my dad would be mad if I stayed out any later. You, you couldn't leave it. It tasted so good. It felt so good. The power was there. It was so real. We'd stay out at church in a prayer meeting. You're talking about a 17-year-old kid now staying at a prayer meeting till 2 in the morning. That's revival. Stirring up the heart. It was in a revival context like that that the Lord hit me between the eyes at the age of 19 and said, you are not going to be a professional musician. I thought I was going to be that. And the Lord just said, you know what? No way. I'm, I'm using you for my, uh, you know, for my kingdom in a different way, and I'll give you marching orders as you go along. But I just knew. I had no choice. 
You see, you can, you can call these revival things emotionalism, and they are usually emotional. You can call it excess. You can call it a lot of things. And sometimes that's even accurate. But if it produces lifelong changes in the heart of a 17-year-old kid who used to be on drugs, if it produces permanent changes in their worldview, in their characteristics, if it brings about a passionate love for Jesus Christ that wasn't there before, you can call it emotionalism, but I'll take it because it's kingdom of God stuff. Amen? That's revival. That's the essence of it. It's the power of the Holy Spirit falling on the people of God. And, you know, throughout history, the main things, the defining moments in Christianity have been when revival broke out among God's people. Church would go along for a long period of time in, in, a, in a kind of normal way. Normal, quote-unquote. Truth be told, there is no such thing as normal Christianity. I, I, you know, you, you find seven revivals, seven major revivals in the Old Testament where the, God called the people of Israel back to uh, covenant with Him. You don't find any mention of revivals in the New Testament. You know why? Because the whole thing is one big revival. Uh, when God poured out His Spirit on the day of Pentecost, from there on end, these people are living in a supercharged, turbocharged spiritual state. Normal for the, for the Christian, normal is walking in the supernatural. Normal is walking sold out. Normal is walking passionate. When we sink below a book of Acts definition of Christianity, we're not sinking down towards normality. We are sinking down to subnormality. And truth be told, the situation of the church in America to a large degree today is subnormal by biblical standards. God wants to call his people up to the standard of normal, spiritual, infused vigor with him. Throughout church history, God has done that at different times. One of them happened in the 17th century under the preaching of Jonathan Edwards and George Whitfield and John and Charles Wesley when the power of God came down and revived the church. People got saved. They saw miracles happening. People got healed. A church that had been lethargic and apathetic and somewhat dead turned into a Book of Acts sort of church. And Jesus Christ was glorified. Church attendance in the first great awakening of the 17th century doubled in some areas. Just doubled like that. It was a magnificent revival. And if you read some of the accounts of what happened there, they sound a lot like what I just told you about the revival that I was a part of. The power of God coming. The reality of God being present in people's minds. Filling people's hearts. Changing people's character. People being set on fire for God. The 18th century saw the same thing under the preaching of Charles Finney and D.L. Moody and, and, and Charles Spurgeon over in London and a number of others. People just willing to stand up and say, the way it is right now, the status quo, what we think is normal Christianity, this churchianity stuff is not where God is at. God wants more. He wants a sold-out people and abandoned people. And when people of God stand up and proclaim it and are willing to pray for it, God shows up and does some magnificent things. And so you find, again, after the church had sunken back to a large degree, the end of the 17th and 18th century, the church being revived. And in some places in Northern America, through the revivals of Charles Finney and others, church attendance tripled. You had the same sort of stuff. You had a lot of critics. You always will have critics. Always. The world's full of critics. And some of it's even legitimate because some of the stuff gets a little wacko, a little weird. Fine. But don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. These people saw the move of God and it changed the face of Christianity. In this century, we've seen the Pentecostal and Charismatic Revival. And around the globe, we've seen a number of things, God doing a number of things. This has been a century for global Christianity. 
And in Africa, there's been a tremendous revival. And in Korea, an ongoing tremendous revival with Pastor Paul Cho. He's got a church, I'm told, that's like a quarter of a billion people now. 200,000, 250,000. How do you organize that? I don't know. But, but an incredible revival going on there. Uh, in, in Argentina, I'll say more about that shortly. In Argentina and certain other areas of uh, Latin America, a powerful revival. God infusing people with electricity. God changing lives. God getting people saved. You have on the outside some weird things, maybe some questionable things, but what you have at the core of it is God revolutionizing the church, turning it upside down, getting people out of their lethargy and churchianity and whatnot and setting them on fire for Jesus Christ. That, my friends, is revival. And God's doing it. Now, what I know is this, in, in, the, in the core of my heart, is that God is not somehow playing favorites with Argentina and Africa. It's just that there are people there who are saying, whatever it takes, whatever the cost, however we, we, we want it, Lord. The question is this. I know that God wants this to happen here. Here with me. Here with you here at Woodland Hills, here in St. Paul, here in the Twin Cities, here in Minnesota, here in the United States. The question is this. Are there people who will stand up and say yes to it? Are there people who, are, who really want this, who are willing to be, to be moved and, and shaken? God wants to send, to revive us, to send revival, to send forth His Spirit. And Lord knows we need it. Lord knows we need it. We look around at the church as it is to a large degree in America and in England and it's a lethargic church, an apathetic church, a churchianity church, a church that's very much centered on itself, a church that falls about 1,000,000.3 million miles below what the church of the book of Acts has. And God wants to revive it, amen? God wants to stir the bride up, amen? God wants to send forth His Spirit, amen? God wants to send forth His fire, amen? God wants to shake the foundations, amen? And there's no reason on earth why it shouldn't happen in St. Paul when it does happen in Argentina or Africa or whatever. Here's why you need revival. Here's why you need revival. We need it individually, on a regular basis. This is why this is not the first time I've ever preached on this. We need it regularly. Because there is, in my life and there is in your life, if we are honest with ourselves, a constant pull downward. There's just a, a thing about our... our the residue, the echo of our fallen nature, which leads us to want to have things just boxed so. We like our life just nice and organized. We like it normal. We like it the routine. We like to have the, you know, the nice packaging, the nice church, the nice sermons, the nice music, the nice Jesus, along with the nice house and the nice car. And, and we just like it you know, nice and, and, and flowing very well, and, and, and we're pretty much in control. And, and our life, you know, we just get it together, and it's nice and organized, and it's nice and packaged. And why would anyone want to upset that? That's a fallen thing about us. We like it just so boxed in, got in a box, we got it all understood, and, and now we're just going to wait for heaven to happen. If I'm hearing the word of God rightly, that's not just not good enough. If I read the word of God rightly, that is repulsive to God. And the reason it's repulsive to God is because God God is, if God is anything, God is a God of uncompromising passion. Amen? God is, as big as God is, that's how passionate he is. As, as powerful as God is, that's how passionate he is. As infinite as God is, that's how passionate he is. God is a God whose love, his eternal triune love, is such that it cannot be improved upon. It does not waver. It is infinitely, perfectly, unqualifiedly, uncompromisingly intense. 
And the relationship that God wants with us is to reflect that same intensity. Are you following me? He's a God who loves you too much to let you go on in a compromising kind of a way. Amen? He's a God. He's not a floating, nice little prissy kind of God in a package. He's a wild. He's a crazy. He's an insane God full of love who wants to have a radical, sold-out, teary-eyed, lip-quivering, passionate relationship with his bride. And his bride is you and his bride is me. He doesn't want the nice, soft, boxy stuff. He wants the wild, crazy, passionate stuff. That's why we need revival. God needs to reach us with a part of his heart and bring us to himself because otherwise we settle for it nice. We settle for it cute. And maybe I'm offending some of you here this morning, and you know what? Good. <laughs> you know, because, see, the gospel's got to do one of two things. The word has got to do one of two things. It either has got to be challenging us to go forward, and I say us because I'm a recipient. You don't know how much I'm a recipient of what goes out of my mouth. Sometimes I'm, like, watching it as it comes out. It's like, whoa. Okay, the word has got to confront us and challenge us to be going forward or to confront us to make us want to run away. The one thing it shouldn't do is make us feel comfortable. All right? The Bible says, Paul says in 1 Timothy that they'll come in the latter days, ear-tickling preachers. You know, I love Q-tips. You know that. I'm addicted to Q-tips. Sometimes preachers preach Q-tips. It's like, oh, you know, it feels so good. Just thank you so much. Oh, I love that message. And then I, you know, Q-tip sermons. What a metaphor. <laughs> the Word of God has got to challenge us. It's got to confront us. It should make us feel a little squirmish to the point where we either sell out a little bit more than we were before or we say, you know what, I want to go someplace else. Fine. You know, revival isn't about growing big churches. Sometimes a revival is shaving a church down to about a third of what it was. Huh? The Lord moves in mysterious ways. And the Lord knows what He's doing. And He'd rather have a small bride who's got a lot of passion than a big bride who's got a lot of excess stuff. I, I, you know what I'm saying? Who lacks the passion? No, he's not. A, he, he'd like to have a big bride too, but he doesn't want to sell out on passion for it. We individually need revival. I find in my life the Lord has to stir me up on a regular basis. Regular basis. Um, all last year, as I shared from the pulpit, was, was, was a lot of it was just God confronting me in areas of mediocrity that I didn't think I had. I thought, you know, it's like, I'm doing pretty good. You know, as long as you measure yourself by other people, you think, well, I'm better than average at least. I'm doing pretty good. I, I got excitement, you know. Here's what I learned is that just being, having a hyper personality is not the same as passion. See, you can confuse the flesh. In fact, if you've got an extrovert kind of hyper-personality, it's all the more easy to confuse flesh energy with spiritual anointing. And the Lord was saying, I, you know, I, I see through the baloney, Greg, and what I want is really heart passion. And it hurts like the dickens. The flesh wants to hang on to it, but you know what? If you just submit to it, however, whatever the cost, whatever the price, whatever it takes then you put yourself in a position where the, where the Lord can begin to send forth His Spirit and create a new thing in your heart. And I'm telling you a million times, as, 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 as intensely as I can, it is worth it. It is worth it. It is worth it. Whatever is blocking your relationship with God, let go of it. It is worth it. Whatever sin is in your life that's hindering what God can do through you, let go of it. And you'll find after you do it, it is worth it. 
You move into a dimension of God's, a relationship with God that you wouldn't have had before and you'll know, you'll drink more deeply of the well of his love and power and you'll wonder, how did you ever think that, that it was better to hang on to what you were hanging on to before? Once you let go of it, first comes the letting go though. And then you discover the new relationship. We individually need to be revived on a continual basis. We also need it corporately. We need it in terms of generations. This is what Judges is talking about. You can have a revival with a group of people, but the next generation, they can't coast on that revival. I wish we could. I wish that spiritual energy was, was transferable. I wish I could just take a piece of my faith and a piece of my experience and a piece of my passion and just give it to my kids the way I'd give them a Christmas present and say, here, have it. How, what parent wouldn't do that? But they can't. They can't do that. I can tell them the stories, but the stories are not the same as the experience, as Habakkuk says. Every generation needs to see God for themselves and experience God for themselves. How I want our youth in this church to be able to taste what I tasted when I was 17. What I would give to have our youth in prayer meetings where they have to call up and say, Dad, I'm sorry, I'm not coming home to 2 in the morning. We're experiencing a move of God. Oh, Lord, let it happen. Let it happen. And one of the... I've had to learn a lot of patience. This whole church thing has been a, one big experiment in, in, in patience. I, th this was part of the original vision of Woodland Hills, is that we would, we would have a youth group that would, not just for Woodland Hills, but throughout the Twin Cities, be a catalyst of change and, 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 and be setting a fire. Because, you know, the thing is, is when you get kids on fire for God, um, man, now you got some people who are really on fire for God. Uh, they don't have the same strongholds that a lot of us adults do. And the most beautiful thing in the world is when, when you don't have the older generation worrying about how the younger generation is going to get it, you get the younger generation why, worrying that the older generation isn't getting it. You know, why are you guys such old fogies? And now you got a bunch of kids who can set a new standard for what it is to worship God with passion. A new standard for what it is to live for God with passion. I want that kind of a youth group, praise God. I want my kids to be a part of a youth group like that. Amen. I, I want to challenge you with this. I want to challenge you with, with, with this. Be praying for our youth in this church. We have, for the last couple of years, been looking for a point person. Uh, a senior level person who's seasoned, who's got vision to take our youth program. We've had a lot of good people helping out there, but we need a person who's, who's been around the block a couple of times to oversee the whole thing. We have just recently got him. Uh, and um, I, I, I announced his first service, and apparently I wasn't supposed to, but cat's out of the bag, so there you go. But right now, all, all you need to know is that, that God is, is moving there, and be in prayer. Whether you've got kids in the program or not, the children's ministry, the, the junior high, the senior high, we covet, we covet prayers. Nothing else can, can happen unless there's, there's prayer behind it. But to have, this generation needs to experience it. This generation needs to know firsthand, to see God move, to, to, to feel the purple smoke of God's presence like I did when I was 17. And they can. There's no reason why they can't, to see God move. But it's not just the kids that need it. Adults need it. Some of us are second or third or fourth generation Christians. And to us, it is only a story. It's only a theory or a word or a pipe dream. You look at it, I'm not going to pick on, on denominations, but I'll just pull one out of the hat. You look at the Methodists today. There are some godly, spirit-filled, wonderful Methodist churches out there. But as a whole, it's not the church that John Wesley or Charles Wesley had in mind when they started the Methodist movement. That early Methodist movement, they had the power of God. They knew the power of God. They tasted the power of God. They saw the power of God. And they were willing to do anything, whatever it took, to keep that power of God present. 
the a minister to be ordained in the Methodist church back in the 1700s had to commit to praying six hours a day. I don't think they require that anymore in the Methodist church. And maybe that's why there isn't, on, a whole, on the whole, the same kind of power and seeing people saved and seeing people healed and seeing people delivered from demons the way they did in the 17th century. The Congregational Church. Jonathan Edwards was the Congregational Preacher. And they saw a power of God, a move of God that was just outstanding. Turned New England upside down. Congregational churches today, there are some godly, spiritual, wonderful congregational churches today, but as a whole... I don't think Jonathan Edwards would be applauding them. You see, what happens in one generation doesn't transfer to the next generation. And some of us are fourth-generation Congregationalists. Some of us are fourth-generation Baptists, third-generation Pentecostals, second-generation Episcopalian. I don't care. What I do know is this. We need a move from God. Amen? Amen? We can't borrow yesterday's revival. We can't just hear the nice stories. We need to see God move here now today for you and me. And what I know for sure in the core of my being is that God is calling us. Something's stirring. Something is up. It, it, it's happening all around. But God is calling us as a church and calling you individually. And he's not just doing it here. He's doing it all over the place. Woodland Hills is just a freckle on the face of the kingdom. It's happening all over the place, but I want to be a part of it. And what's happening is this. God is calling mediocre Christians to step up to the plate and get passionate. Amen. God's calling Christians who maybe haven't prayed before to become prayer warriors. God's calling Christians who have maybe been afraid of the devil to become warriors in vanquishing the devil. And God's calling Christians who have been pew sitters to get involved and get in the ball game. God's calling Christians who have been apathetic to finally get the zeal of God in their life. God's calling Christians who have previously been barraged by American values to sell out and to grab hold of the values of the kingdom and put Jesus Christ first. God's calling Christians who have been self-centered to become Jesus-centered. God's calling Christians who have spent their life seeking everything else to now seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. God is calling Christians who have been apathetic, who have been lethargic, who have maybe just been had Jesus as a secondary footnote in their life to put Jesus Christ first, to sell out, to crucify yourself, to let God move. My challenge to you this morning to not hear this as a nice sermon, but to hear it as I'm hearing it as a punch between the eyes. And the Lord's saying, the Lord's saying hello, uh, are you willing, are you willing, here's the challenge, to sell out, to sell out, to be sold out, to surrender all, to crucify yourself. <laughs> crucify the flesh, and I'll live for the Lord, as Paul did, Galatians chapter 2. I crucify myself daily. My agenda, my dreams, my hopes, my schemes. Now, Lord, what would you have me to do? Because when we empty ourselves, the Lord can make us full, and that's the only way it can happen. Here's what's happening around the Twin Cities. Just got done preaching a three-night revival in Stillwater. Some pastors got a vision. In fact, it wasn't a pastor who got a vision. It was a person in the congregation. We're all in a congregation of a Lutheran church said, basically, wouldn't it be cool if all the churches got together and sang and prayed and, and, and heard the word proclaimed? So the churches in Stillwater got together and uh, prayed and uh, held this revival on, on uh, uh, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday night. You won't believe how tired I am right now physically, but how, 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 uh, how uncontainable I feel spiritually. It's a weird mix, too. Uh, I feel like an animated corpse. It, it, it's... Uh, <laughs> But, but it's great, you know? And the thing is, is that God uses your weakness more than your strength. When you're weak, then he can be strong. Uh, especially if you're one who's inclined to have an extroverted, fleshy strength. All right? God likes it 
when you get rid of that because now we can put, put in some, some genuine stuff. Um, the, there were, God showed up, you guys, in the Stillwater thing. It was powerful. It was great. And we're, you're, we're talking, you know, uh, I, I'm not in the stereotypes, okay? But believe me, if you were there last night, you would have been saying, whoa, these are Lutherans and Presbyterians? Uh, it, it, you know, we're talking some good dynamic stuff. God is drawing his church. In Argentina, there's been an incredible revival that's turned things upside down. It, it has just been, it's been the best revival of the century. Uh, just outstanding. The way it happened was that a few people, like Ed Silvosa, decided to take the Bible at face value when the Lord says, if my people will pray, they will hear from heaven and I'll heal their land. They began to pray. This is a prayer evangelism. And their goal was to have everybody in Argentina prayed for, just to see what would happen. I wonder if God will show up. God showed up. And he's been showing up for 15, 16 years, and they've had an outstanding revival going on there. Ed Silvosa is going to be at our church next Sunday. Uh, and, and we've asked him to come up here. Uh, he's, he's heading up a, uh, he, he'll be preaching a three-day uh, uh, seminar all day long on, on prayer evangelism. There are, you guys, all over the place, not just in Stillwater, but there are pastors who are beginning to say, you know what, we need to, especially here in St. Paul, get together and pray. That, that hasn't happened much. Do you know down in Argentina they know that St. Paul has a stronghold of religiosity? Uh, it, it, we're, we're, we're national, folks. We have got a stronghold here of propriety, religiosity, and apathetic stuff. We're too nice to ever get on fire for God, and we're too into our own little gigs to ever get together. But God, praise God, is tearing it down. He's tearing it down. And people are starting to pray together. And there's a sense of revival coming with our youth, revival coming here in the church in, 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 in St. Paul, Minneapolis, the suburbs. It's got to happen. The old, right now, the only thing we need to do, as the worship team comes up, I want to sing that song again. Can we, is there is worship team around here? Oh, hey, come on up. Yeah, good. I challenge you to pray, to pray, to pray, to pray, to pray. Ed Silvosa will be talking about this next week, I think. Uh, and the next couple weeks after that, I'm going to be talking more about uh, what goes into a revival. But I want to challenge you. What unlocks the vault of heaven is prayer. More than anything else, it is prayer. It's the power of prayer. Be in prayer for the ministry. Be in prayer for Norm. Be in prayer for me. Be in prayer for Mary Van Sickle and all the, the different ministries. Be in prayer for the church here in the Twin Cities. We're a part of a bigger team. Be in prayer about this. Let's join in on this. Let's be a part of it. Be in prayer that God will light the fire in your heart, that God will light the fire in your family's heart, that God will light the fire in your pastor's heart, in, in, in the church's heart that Jesus Christ will be glorified because when all is said and done, that is the only thing that matters. Amen?